Welcome to the Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast, a podcast all about sharing ideas, tips, and strategies to help you develop as a Kidman leader. Thanks for listening to today's episode, featuring a favorite presentation from one of our training experiences. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children. We're going to talk this morning about Gen Z, the generation we are called to reach and disciple. Kathy did an amazing job last night sharing a lot about Gen Z, and we're going to kind of continue along with that today and share some things. Kids are awesome, aren't they? I shared a verse yesterday. It says to bow down your ear to hear wisdom. Sometimes if you'll listen, you can hear some wise things from kids. I love when kids start talking about the Bible and sharing truths they've learned from the Bible. Sometimes they get those things mixed up. So these are actual quotes from kids about the Bible. Here's the first one. This little guy said, Solomon had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. (laughs) How about that? And then this little guy said, Moses died before he ever reached Canada. Anybody from Canada here? Yeah? Nobody? Oh, right there. All right. Yay. The promised land. Canada. Here's another one. Uh, this is the best one to me. This little girl said, when you get scared, God will bring you a quilt. He said the comforter would come. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Wow. And then this little girl said, Noah built a big boat and put his family and some animals on it. He asked some other people to join him, but they decided to take a rain check. <laughs> and then that, this is good, too. This little guy said, Jesus had 12 opossums. The worst one was Judas Asparagus. He was so evil, they named a terrible vegetable after him. (laughs) Isn't that good? So kids can say some great things. Well, Gen Z, the generation we're called to reach and disciple. I want to just share some truths with you that will help you reach today's kids. So number one is this, and I think in your notes there, there's a place you can follow along with us. If you don't get everything filled in, page 38. If you don't get everything filled in, we'll be glad to send you the notes, or Kathy will have the full outline with all the blanks filled in, and we'll get to you after it's over. Number one is this. If we're going to reach today's kids, we must understand today's kids. You see, today's kids are not yesterday's kids. They're not. Kids are not the same as when you were a kid. We tend to look at the world when it comes to kids through the eyes of when we were a kid, but it's not yesterday. It's today's kids. You know, there's many generations right now alive Uh, on planet earth and we're going to go through just a few of these Uh, you're part of one of these generations the first one is the greatest generation and right now they are 93 years and older my grandmother is in that generation she's 94 she's part of the greatest generation I don't know if we have anybody here today in the greatest generation or not we might possibly I'm not going to ask they might get mad at me uh, just, just this generation is the generation that they, they're called the greatest generation because they, they helped us in World War II, right? They were the people that uh, helped our country. Uh, just some faces. I'm just going to give you some famous faces just to remind you, put a face to that generation. Ronald Reagan is one. Walt Disney's one. Judy Garland would be one. So when you think about the greatest generation, there's some faces. Right behind them is a silent generation. This is my parents. They're right now 72 to 92 years old. Uh, They're the children of the Great Depression. And the silent comes because they were very conforming. They were very loyal. They got a job. They they kept it for life. 
They're very loyal, very conforming. And so just some faces to that would be Dr. King is part of that generation. Elvis Presley's part of that generation. And Clint Eastwood's part of that generation, just to put a face on that generation. Behind them are the baby boomers. The baby boomers, I'm sure we have some boomers here today, and these ages can vary, you know, people, these ages may vary slightly a few years here and there based on who you listen to, but generally around 53 to 71 years old. They are the boom after World War II. All those soldiers came home from the war, and there was a baby boom, and so the baby boomers. Some faces for that would be Denzel Washington as part of that, Katie Couric, and Bill Gates as part, just to put a face on that generation. Gen X, this is my generation, around 36 to 52 years old right now. They're considered very entrepreneurial, uh, very uh, cutting edge, and so here's some faces for that. Uh, Peyton Manning is part of that group, and Mariah Carey is part of that group, and Will Smith are part of that group. Gen X, is there any Gen Xers here today? Yeah, Gen X, awesome. And then you have the Millennials. Got any millennials in the house? All right. The millennials, they came of age at the dawn of the new millennial. They're the young parents now. They're, they're, the, they're becoming the young parents. These are the young parents in your hallways. These are the young parents that have kids in your ministry. And so millennials, here's some faces for that. Mark with Facebook, I don't even try to say his last name, is that uh, Carrie Underwood is part of that, and LeBron James is part of uh, Millennials. So, you know, when you think about previous generations, a lot of times toys will, you'll identify with a toy maybe that you played with when you were a kid. So if you're in your 70s right now, you may remember when you were a kid playing with uh, marbles. You may have been in marbles. You may remember on the radio hearing the, uh, the shadow or the Green Lantern. And also, the, this, genera Green Lantern, the, this generation also spent a lot of time playing outside. My dad said we used to just play outside all day. There wasn't nothing to do. There wasn't no video games. There wasn't really a television. We just played outside all day out in the woods. So maybe you remember that for your generation. If you're in your 60s, you may remember Howdy Doody. You may remember riding in one of these. What are seatbelts? Just get back there and go for it. Uh, you may remember hula hoops for when you were a kid. If you're in your 50s, you may remember, I had this when I was a kid. You may remember G.I. Joe. Anybody remember G.I. Joe? Those things are worth a lot of money now, by the way. If you have one, they're worth some buck. Check out on eBay. G.I. Joe, you may remember Cracker Jacks. They still sell those. I see them in the store still. And then you may remember Hoppity Hop from when you were a kid. If you're in your 40s, you may remember the original Atari 2600. Can anybody remember that? The Pac-Man, conk, 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 conk. You may remember the, the playgrounds had metal slides. In their summertime, it got hot. And uh, they could cut you. You don't find those now. And Etch-a-Sketch. You may remember Etch-a-Sketch? If you're in your 30s, you may remember Pound Puppies. Anybody remember Pound Puppies? You may remember Teddy Ruxpin, yeah. And then you had the Nintendo NES, remember that? Yeah, remember that? If you're in your 20s, when you were a kid, you may remember Pogs, remember Pogs? You may remember the PlayStation, remember that? It got better. And then you may remember VHS tapes at Blockbuster. Be kind, rewind, right? You go there and the, the, the new release is all sold out. You're like, ah, you're right, you're out of luck. Well, that's yesterday's kids. Now, think about today's kids. 
Gen Z kids, Gen Key kids. You know there are 74 million Gen Z kids in America right now? They're the largest generation on the planet. Worldwide, there are 2 billion kids right now. This is a generation that you and I are called to reach and disciple. And you think about today's kids. I mean, you think about iPhones. I just did an um, article this morning on my site about the social media now for kids and the iPhones. It's amazing how many kids have iPhones today. They don't know what pagers are. They, they have iPhones. You'd be surprised how many kids in your ministry have iPhones. They're digital natives, right? Digital natives. They don't know what a catalog is from Sears. What's that? Uh, no need for encyclopedias, right? And Amazon's a, not a river. It's a place where you buy stuff, right? And a, and a floppy drive. What's a floppy drive? <laughs> Holds like two meg. You don't know what that is. High-speed wireless internet. They've never known anything but it. They don't know what it is to hear <laughs> dial up. They don't know what that is, right? High-speed internet. Hundreds of TV channels. When I was a kid, there was like three channels. If you held the antenna right and had aluminum foil, you might get four channels. And I was the remote control. Get up and go change the channel, right? And TV went off at midnight. At midnight, they would play the national anthem, and then you're till the next day, right? Cartoons, if you miss Saturday morning, you're out of luck, right? But today's kids have hundreds of channels and cartoons network, Disney Channel, Nickelodeon Channel, all these 24-7 things that they have. They have very, very, very short attention spans. The recent study says it's about eight seconds that their attention span is, is that long. Xbox, they have incredible video games like Xbox One. The graphics are better than the graphics that we had on the big video games in the arcades when we were kids. Uh, they spend seven hours and 38 minutes a day uh, engage with digital media in some format. So they are very, very used to that. They interact with five screens a day between their phones, between iPads, between computer screens and television screens. They interact with five screens a day. They're used to having things immediately on demand. I mean, when we were kids, we were, Pam and I were talking the other day, if, we wanted, if you wanted to see Wizard of Oz, it would maybe come on at Christmas or a special thing, right? And you had to wait for it. But if you missed it, you're out of luck i got to make a confession. Sometimes, like, the wonderful world of Disney would always come on Sunday night. And I had to go to church and missed it. And I remember one time there was a Super Bowl on Sunday night, and I accidentally got sick that with Sunday night and made myself have a fever so I could stay home and watch it. But not today. If you miss it, no big deal. You just can watch it on demand, right? You can watch replays. You can record it. Terrorism is a way of life for these guys. These kids have never known what it's like not to go, you know, they've never known what it's like to go through a metal detector and um, to know that there's shootings that take places at churches and know that things get blown up and people get hurt. That's all they've ever known. And then they're bombarded with information. They are bombarded with information. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages come at them every day, and you and I are as well. So all this information is coming at these kids. These are the kids you're trying to reach. They're not yesterday's kids. They're today's kids. And our goal is to see them fall in love with Jesus and serve him for a lifetime, right? That's why we do what we do is to help them serve Jesus for a lifetime. How are we going to do that? Here's, here's the, I'm not trying to bear bad news, but I just want you to be face reality. The reality is there's a crisis of faith in our country. Just like Kathy was talking about last night, there's a crisis in our country. 50% of our country, 50% of Americans say, who have left church said they no longer believe in God. 
So half the people that used to go to church, they left the church, they say, I don't even believe in God anymore. 25% of Americans have no affiliation with any religion whatsoever. And 78%, get this, 78% of people who say, I am a nun, a nun is not a Catholic nun, it's if you survey and you mark what religion are you, you know, Protestant, Catholic, Episcopalian, whatever, if there's a nun category, they would check none. 78% of the people who would say, I have no religion, grew up in church. Let that sink in. 78% of the people who say, I have no religion, affiliation, actually grew up in church. They were the kids that went through my ministry and your ministry. They were the kids that grew up in church, and so there's a crisis of faith in our church. You know, you, you, you think about all those kids, and you hear those stats, but let's just put a couple faces to it. So Katie Perry is a pastor's daughter. She grew up in church. She sat in church every single week of her life. She started out, which is ironic, started out in Christian music and couldn't make it. And somehow then she started in secular music, and she had that first song that was a real big hit, I Kissed a Girl. That was kind of the song that put her on the map and elevated her to stardom. And so now in an interview a year or two ago, she said, I don't really know if I believe in heaven or hell or a guy upstairs. Uh, I don't know if I believe any of that. You know, I did an article about that, and it got great response. And her stage manager, who actually emailed me and said, hey, I read that article and just let you know that we're praying for her, and we're having conversations with her, and we're praying that she'll come back. And I'm praying that she'll come back, right? Uh, I know the lure of fame and the lure of fortune is very strong pull, but we're praying she'll come back. But that's just an example of someone that grew up in church in a pastor's home and now has no faith. Here's another example. This guy, Brad Pitt, actually, you know, he grew up in a church home, in a church. He was raised in church. He did an interview with, I believe it was GQ or Vogue magazine not long ago, and he talked about how he grew up in church. And up to the age of 14, he was right there, and then he began to question his faith and ask some hard questions, and he got no answers. And now he says, I don't, you know, believe in God. That's just a couple examples, famous examples of kids that grew up in church but no longer have faith. And that story could be told over and over again. Here's another thing to think about. If you look at the generations, the boomers, 14% of boomers say, I uh, have no religious affiliation, 14%. If you jump down to Gen X, 19% say, I have no affiliation with religion. Their kids, the millennials, look at that jump. 35% of millennials say, I have no uh, belief or not associated with any religion. What trend do you see there? Each generation, fewer and fewer people are being reached and discipled effectively. What is it going to be for Gen Z? Well, you know what? We can change that. And I don't see this as discouraging. I see this as a mission field. I see this huge opportunity that we have to really impact the next generation and that we can impact their parents. So we're going to talk about how to do that. Something is not working. We've got to change some things that we're doing. You know, as I was reading that, that uh, stat, I came across a verse that jumped out. I mean, you're familiar with the verse. But uh, this verse jumped out to me about why kids walk away from their faith, and what we can do to change that and how we can disciple them. There was a survey done among the people that had walked away from their faith, and they said, why'd you walk away? So they took a large group of people who grew up in church that walked away, and they said, why did you walk away? And I'm going to share with you the three answers, the three reasons why they said they walked away. And here's what's amazing. 
the answers they shared parallels this verse. And so we're going to talk about that. It says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds as he scattered them across his field. Some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock. Underlying rock, excuse me. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have any deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. So let me give you these, re these, these reasons that people, kids walk away and how you can overcome that and how you can see kids love Jesus and serve him for a lifetime. Here's the first one is this. We have got to, got, got to, got to help Gen Z develop a solid faith foundation. A solid faith foundation. So in that survey of the kids that were asked, why did you walk away? 50% of them said, we just don't believe anymore. Did you get that? So half the kids that walked away, they said, we just don't believe anymore. What, look what the verse says. So you go back to the verse. It says, other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed spreaded quickly because the soil was shallow because the, sun, the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. So they didn't have deep roots. They died so the first reason is because these kids had a shallow faith. They had a shallow faith. And when they got to college and they were faced with questions, they had no answers, and their faith wilted. When they got in high school and they began to hear things that were contrary to God's word, they didn't have a deep faith, and what happened? It wilted. When the heat, see how it says the sun came? And when the heat was applied in that college classroom, their faith was shallow and they wilted. When they were in high school, when the heat was applied, the peer pressure of heat was applied, their faith was not deep, it was shallow, and it wilted. So we have got to, got to, got to help kids have a solid faith foundation. Kids have got to have a real encounter with God. Here's what we got to do. We have to help kids, teach kids help Kenzie know God rather than just knowing about God. See the difference? We have to make sure they know God, not just knowing about God. How many of you know, uh, know about Tom Hanks? Raise your hand. How many of you know about Tom Hanks? Yeah, you know about him. How many of you personally know him? No. We know about him, but we don't know him. There's a difference, see? And we have to make sure that kids don't just grow up knowing about God, but they actually have a personal relationship with Jesus. We have to make sure we explain to them what it means to follow Jesus. We can't have any more of kids just walking forward in VBS and somebody um, saying, you're saved. And we have to make sure that we take the time to explain to them what it means to follow Jesus and the commitment that they're making so that they can know God. If we don't, they will get... They will get um, devoured. The next thing is this, no God rather than just knowing about God. We have to teach Gen Z why we believe what we believe. Here's a big one. We've got to teach them why we believe what we believe. If we don't, they will get devoured. A lot of the kids that walked away said, I grew up and I got in college and I found out about evolution and science and my faith wilted. It died, or the heat it died. We got to teach them why 
we believe what we believe. Kids are living, as Kathy said last night, in a culture that more and more and more is becoming secular. And more and more kids have got to know why they, we believe what they believe. If they don't, they won't make it. Let me show you a quick video. There's a guy named Bill Nye, the science guy. He had a popular television show for kids on television. And we should watch this quick video as he's talking about Gen Z and what they need to believe. Denial of evolution is unique to the United States. I mean, we are the world's most advanced technological. So, I mean, you could say Japan, but generally the United States is where most of the innovation still happens. People still move to the United States. Uh, and that's largely because of the intellectual capital we have, the, the general understanding of science. When you have a portion of the population that doesn't believe in that, it holds everybody back, really. Evolution is the fundamental idea in all of life science, in all of biology. It's like, it's very much analogous to trying to do geology without believing in tectonic plates. You're just not gonna get the right answer. Your whole world is just gonna be a mystery instead of an exciting place. As my old professor Carl Sagan said, when you're in love, you want to tell the world. So once in a while, I get people that really, that, or that claim they don't believe in evolution. And my response generally is, so why not? Really, why not? Your world just becomes fantastically complicated when you don't believe in evolution. I mean, you, here are these ancient dinosaur bones or fossils. Here is um, radioactivity. Here are distant stars that are just like the, our star, but that are at a different point in their life cycle. The idea of deep time of this of billions of years uh, explains so much of the world around us. If you try to ignore that, your, your worldview just becomes crazy. It's just uh, untenable, itself inconsistent. And I say to the grown-ups, if you want to deny evolution and live in your, in your uh, world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it, because we need them. We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers for the future. We need people that can, uh, we need engineers that can build stuff, solve problems. These are, it's just really a hard thing. It's, it's really a hard thing. You know, in another couple centuries, that, that worldview, I'm sure, will be, it just won't exist. I mean, it's, it's, there's no evidence for it, so. So that's what our kids are facing. And you can be sure that the secular culture is, is after them. So we have got to teach them why they believe what they believe. If they don't, their faith will not last. You know, how did we get to where we are right now in the, in the country? Let me, let me give you real quick just a little infograph to show you how we got where we're at right now. So in the late 1800s, um, something developed called modernism. You can see in the late 1800s, modernism developed because uh, we moved from more of a just farms and stuff. We began to develop technology. The factories began to be built. Industry uh, came, and so that was called modernism. We were going to move, our country was going to move from just rural farms to more modern technology, which back then was, was again, factories and, and industry. And with that came the idea that religious faith was outdated and was no longer needed. We have science 
We have reason. We have logic. So why do we need God? That's what modernism said. It said we don't need God. We have science and reason and logic. It rejected the idea of a all-powerful creator, a, uh, uh, a God that, that ruled, ruled the universe. And so then there were some things that caused modernism to fall. So this ruled in the early 1900s, but then some things happened that caused people to question modernism. And here's what happened. First of all, there was World War I happened in 1914. People began to question, well, if modernism is right, if science and reason and logic and history is right, then why are we having world wars? 1939, World War II happened. This, again, caused people to wonder about modernism. And, of course, a part of that was the Holocaust, which said, how could a modern society allow such a thing to happen? 1955, Vietnam happened. And, again, people began to question uh, the results of reason and science. And with its coal technology and pollution and weapons of mass destruction and control. So out of that, great fear came. People began to get fearful. And out of this... People had this desire to be free of any kind of intellectual demand or reason. And so here's where postmodernism was born. Postmodernism means after the modern age. Around 1947, a famous philosopher said, today the modern age is essentially over. And so you see in the, in the late 40s, the modernism came aboard. It really took off in the 1980s. And from the 1980s to now, it has just taken off. And here's what postmodernism says. It says that there is no absolute truth. It rejects anybody saying there's absolute truth. What's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. It says there's no moral absolutes. Kind of like that verse says in the Bible in Judges. It says that every man did what was right in his own eyes. Whatever works for you is truth. Whatever works for me is truth. And it also says there's no fixed moral code. There's nobody can say they have absolute truth. It disdains religious authority. Pamela, bring those on up. It disdains religious. There's, and here's three big words that kind of are the mantra of postmodernism is tolerance. You ever hear that in today's culture? Now, tolerance is a good thing. We should love everyone, right? We should be tolerant. But they're saying you should be talking to the point where you shouldn't take a stand on truth. That's what they're saying. Uh, non-judgmental. You ever heard that in today's culture? Don't judge me. Don't judge anyone. And so that's a big part of postmodernism. And it also says there's no fixed moral code. This is where we have been led. So you can see through the, the history of the last century, we've been led up to where we're at right now. So this is what kids today are growing up in where you got to be tolerant, which means don't take a stand on anything. Don't judge anybody. That means, again, don't take a stand on anything and don't have a fixed moral code. That's what the kids today are facing. And if their faith is not deep, they will wilt in the midst of this. They will be swept away by postmodernism. And so we have to make sure that we give them a deep faith. So this has all led us to what you could say there's six uh, key moral principles of today's culture. Here's what uh, it would say here's the new morality. This comes from George Barna. He said, here's the new morality that kids today are growing up with. Here's the first thing. It says this, the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. It says it's all about you. You don't find your purpose from God. You find your own purpose inside you. It also says this. It says that people 
should not criticize someone else's life choices. The kids in your ministry, your kids, the kids in your church, that's what they're being raised in a culture that says, here's the new morality. This is what's right. They would say is that you are not to criticize someone else's life choices. Number three, it says this. To be fulfilled in life, you have to, you have to pursue the things you desire the most. It's all about you grabbing and getting what's in it for you. Getting health and getting wealth and getting all the things that this world provides. Number four, it would say that the highest goal in life is not to glorify God, but is to enjoy life as much as possible. Why go to church on Sunday for God when you can go out and go to the lake? Or you can go uh, hiking or whatever. It's all about you. Number five is this. People can believe whatever they want as long as it doesn't affect society. In other words, don't take a stand on any kind of certain belief. And number six, any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is acceptable. That's the morality that the kids are being brought up in, that they're being inundated with. And if they don't have a strong faith, when the heat's applied, they will will. So we have to help kids know why they believe what they believe. Here's the next thing. We have to give kids the freedom to ask the hard questions now. Matter of fact, we had to take the initiative and ask them the hard questions and let them grapple with the hard questions. Pam, I'm going to skip that video that we're going to play just for time's sake. Let's go on past that. Uh, I, I did a series at my church about a year ago because I, I became so burdened for this that kids needed to, needed to be asked the hard questions. And so I did a series called Pranksters. And we made it fun. We had videos where people were playing pranks on people and doing stuff. But then we... we we, we brought it to where, hey, kids, people are going to try to prank you and say the Bible is not true. People are going to try to prank you and say that, that God's not real. And you have to know when a prank's coming at you and how to deal with it. And we actually took scriptures in the Bible that seemed to contradict each other and showed them to the kids and worked, had them work through it. Well, here's an example. In John 20, it says on Sunday morning that just Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone then rolled away. But then it is contradicted, it would seem, in Mark 16, because in Mark 16 it says about the same scenario that there were three people. It says that Mary, Magdalene, Mary, Mother Jesus, and Siloam went out. And so people that don't believe the Bible would say, look at there, there's a contradiction. One says one person, one says three people. If the first time a kid sees that is in college, their faith may not last. If they see that for the first time and get the wrong answer, their faith may wilt. And so we say, kids, here's the deal. If you go on and look in uh, John chapter 20, it goes on and it says this. It says, uh, she goes on in the end of the chapter. She says, she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. Look at there, see that word? And we don't know where they've put him. Even though she didn't name the other two ladies, they were there because she says, we can't find him. So there were other people there with her, so it's not a contradiction if you study the rest of the chapter. But we have to let kids see things like that now, right, so they can get the right answers. Uh, if they hear that later and get the wrong answers, their faith may wilt. And so it's so important that we help them ask the hard questions. Number next is this. We want to provide kids opportunities to take spiritual steps. What steps do you have in place for kids to grow in their faith? Do you have a 
salvation process that kids go through that you clearly share the gospel? Before a child is baptized, do you have a clear process that they understand what it means to be baptized? Do you have a process that they grow in their faith? Are you just randomly teaching the Bible, or do you have a process that you're taking them toward a goal that you want them to be discipled? As they transition into middle school, do you have a plan to equip parents and equip them for that transition? So help them take spiritual steps. Number two, real quick. Number two, here we go. Help Gen Z embrace the church. So that group of people that said we walked away from the faith, the second biggest reason they said they walked away was because they saw hypocrisy, and inconsistency in the church. So the biggest group said, we just don't believe anymore. The second biggest group said, we see hypocrisy in the church. And it's interesting, look at there at the verse, what it says. He scattered them across the field. Some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. An outside source came in and took them away. A church split came in and took away their faith. Someone in the church that was living a double life came in and took away their faith. Someone who was living a lifestyle and was a hypocrite that they knew it took away their faith. They became disillusioned with the church. Someone in the church caused them harm, and it disillusioned them. Someone in the church abused them, and it took away their faith. So how do we help kids embrace the church? Well, first of all, we have to point kids to the perfect person and the perfect purpose. we got to start right now saying, kids, there's only one perfect person, and that's Jesus. you got to stay cross-eyed. <laughs> you got to keep looking at the cross, right? I'm going to let you down. People in the church are going to let you down, but Jesus will never let you down. He's perfect, and you got to keep your eyes on him. And then you have to keep your eyes on the perfect purpose. Here's an example. Noah's Ark. Let's, let's just be honest. You don't have that many animals on a boat without there being a bunch of crap. <laughs> Guarantee there was crap everywhere. It stunk. There was probably some leaks they had to repair here and there. It wasn't a, it wasn't a perfect you know, ride, and it probably smelled. But... The mission that that ark was on, to save Noah and his family and to fulfill God's plan, that mission was perfect. You get that? The purpose was perfect. And the church is not perfect. There's crap in the church. Some of it's your crap and some of it's my crap. But the mission is perfect. The mission to glorify God and to reach people for Jesus is perfect. And if we can help kids look beyond the crap and see the mission the church is on, they will embrace that, right? And so help them point them to a perfect person and a perfect purpose. You know, and then also we want to walk the talk. Walk the talk. We're not going to be perfect, but we need to walk the talk. You know, I, my dad was a, is a believer and one reason I'm here today is because he walked the talk. I could argue with some of the things he said. I could dispute some of the things he said, but I couldn't argue with his life. He wasn't perfect, but he lived what he preached. And that got through to me. Kids never fail. They always, sometimes, sometimes they don't do what we say, but they never fail to imitate us, right? And so we need to walk the talk and say, kids, I'm going to do my best to live a great example 
in front of you. Pamela, let's move on down to the next one. That's help them take a deep connection in the church. Help them make sure they have a deep connections in the church. They ought to be connected to the church as a whole. They ought to be connected to caring leaders. Their name ought to be known. They ought to hear their name uttered in prayer every week at your church. They ought to know if they're missed that somebody's going to call and say, I missed you this week. It matters. they got to be deeply connected. Number three is this. Number three. We have to help Gen Z understand that Jesus doesn't want to just be a part of their life. He wants to be the center of their life. The third group of kids, the biggest percentage that said they walked away, they said, we just got too busy. We got up and we got in college or we got married and we just got too busy, so we just dropped out because we were too busy. Jesus was part of their life, but he wasn't a center of their life. Now, let me ask you a question. Where do you think they learned that from? Their parents, right? That verse talks about other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Things came and choked out their faith. Sports came and choked out their faith. Uh, missing church came and and, and choked out their faith. You know, we have an epidemic right now in our country of sports craziness for kids. These are some recent articles by a secular paper, Time Magazine, that says it's gone to unhealthy proportions. There's families that spend a lot of their income on, on sports, and you'll have traveling teams where parents will have their kids miss church five, six, seven, eight weeks in a row because of these traveling teams. Now, sports are good. I played Little League as a kid. I played ball in high school, but it didn't take over my life, right? And so many people uh, in the country right now, they're allowing sports to choke out their kids' faith because they're missing church week after week after week. What message are they sending to their kids? They're sending a message that Jesus can be part of your life, but doesn't have to be the center of your life. Youth sports has grown by 55% since 2010. It's a $15 billion industry. In the Time Magazine article, look it up on Google and read it. They have coined a phrase called tourniquetion. Families are spending their vacation time to go off to these tournaments. And so they've coined the phrase tourniquetion, where they go on vacation to go to these tournaments. It's taken over their whole life. It chokes out the things of God. And that's just one example. And, and parents mean well. They think if I get my kids in this, maybe they got a better chance at a scholarship. But the article points out that it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference whether they get a scholarship or not in the long run. So how we, what are we going to do? Here's what we got to do. we got to make influencing parents a top priority. You don't just minister to kids. You minister to families. you got to shift your focus on the child, but also on the parents and speak truth into parents' lives and help them see what's important. You know, there's, you've seen this before. I've just an example on the screen. In an average week, you know, there's, there's two containers there. Uh, there's 168 marbles there. You see on the, the right side there, you're right. There's 167 marbles, and the other there's one. This one marble represents how much kids are at church. Now, you might, if you have a couple programs, it might be two or three marbles. But look where the vast majority of time is spent. 
And so as a leader, if you're going to help kids make Jesus be not just the, the part of their life, but the center of their life, then you got to influence the influencers. And the influencers are their parents. And so you got to always be thinking, parents, how can I help parents see how important it is to have their kids in God's house and make God a top priority? Help parents see what really matters. Help them see what really matters. Sports are good. Academic success is important. Social success is important. But the most important thing is spiritual success. Help parents see that. And then you've got to equip parents. Give them some tools they need to disciple their kids. Give them some tools they need to disciple their kids. The last church that I led the kids' ministry, when I got there, we had uh, baby dedication. Do you guys have baby dedication at your church? You know what that is. Well, South Florida... Even though it's in the South, it's not the Bible Belt. Matter of fact, the farther south you go, the more north it gets. And so, really, South Florida used to be attached to New York, and it broke off and floated down and reattached, and it's there. So our church was reaching lots of people from Catholic backgrounds and unchurched backgrounds, which is what you want, right? But for baby dedication, the first time we would talk with them they would sign up online and the first time we would talk with them was that morning or they when they'd line up on the front row right before service for dedication and I began to notice as I was listening to these parents talk they had no clue about what this was about no clue and kind of the backbreaker was this it was right before the service was starting they all lined up and I noticed that two ladies came up and uh sat beside each other and one was very manly appearing the other one was was more effeminate and I, I approached them and I said who's the mother and they said we both are so here I am put on this spot knowing that uh, we cannot in front of the church allow that to happen and I had to say well only one of you can go up on the stage and you know what that wasn't fair to that, that lesbian couple to put them on the spot right there without any conversation without talking people that wasn't fair that was a disservice to them. And I realized that I've got to have a class that parents go through before they ever get to that front row. And in that class, I can share with them, here's how to raise your kids to love Jesus. Here's how to be faithful in church. Here's what this dedication means. And so I began that class and began to see great fruit from that and began to see parents get their priorities right. And so that's just an example Whatever that looks like for you, find a way to influence parents. It might be a class attached with baby dedication. It might be a class they go through with their child when the child wants to get baptized. But think of ways you can influence parents. Number four. I've got to finish up here. Number four is this. What time is it, Kathy? All right, we're okay. We'll make it. We'll make it. Number four is this. We have to create fertile soil. The verse goes on and it says that some of the seed fell on good soil and it produced a crop. We can't make kids' faith grow, but what our job is to create fertile soil that gives their faith a great chance to grow. Only God can make a plant grow, but our job, what he's called you to do and me to do, is to have this fertile soil that when kids are planted in the fertile soil of your ministry, when the kids are planted in the fertile soil of your church, that they are in the kind of environment that their faith can grow and flourish. 
What are the ingredients of fertile soil? First of all, fertile soil, I believe this. Fertile soil is about reading and applying God's word, not just reading God's word. That means that as you teach the Bible to kids, you help them apply it to their lives. You spend as much, if not more, time teaching them how to apply it. Study the way Jesus taught. Not just what he taught, but how he taught. It was 85% application, 15% information. But we tend to do the opposite. We think if we just fill up kids' heads with Bible knowledge that they're going to turn out right. Not necessarily. We have to spend just as much time saying, okay, how are we going to live this out at school this week? How are we going to live this out at home this week? How are we going to live this out at uh, the ball team this week? Help them apply it to their lives. Fertile soil also means that we help kids not just memorize God's Word, but memorize and understand what they're memorizing. I've, I've had programs in my church before where kids would just remember, memorize all, temporarily memorize all these verses and spout them back to us, but we didn't take the time to make sure they understood what they were memorizing. I would rather a child memorize and understand one verse than temporarily memorize 10 verses for a prize or something and not understand what they mean. Maybe that means spending an entire month on a verse instead of a new verse every single week that they temporarily learn. Maybe it means spending the whole month on a verse and going over and over and over and explaining what it means, fertile soil. And then I would say that fertile soil is when you and I make Jesus. Oh, there's a verse, bonus verse there. Thy word have I hid in my head that I might not sin against thee. Heart. That's where it's got to be. The next thing that fertile soil looks like is we've got to make Jesus more attractive than the world. The world has a big pool. Katie got pulled into that because there's a pool there with being famous and money and just all the the stuff that goes with that. There's a pool there. The world, it's attractive. The world is attractive to kids. We have to make Jesus more attractive than the world. I love this verse. I think it's in your notes there says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what righteousness and wickedness have in common. What fellowship can light have with darkness? For the temple, let's skip on down, for the temple of the living God. He goes on down, you know this verse. It says, therefore, there it is on the screen. Come out from among them and be you separate, says the Lord. And we use that, don't we? We tell kids, come away from the world, resist the pull of the world, resist the peer pressure, but we stop there because the verse goes on and it says, and I'll receive you and I'll be a father to you and you'll be my sons and my daughters. So we got to say, kids, yes, you pull from the world, but don't stop there. It's not just about what you don't do. It's turning and getting connected with Jesus, and falling in love with Jesus. And when you do that, the things of the world will seem far away, right? Because they'll become uh, so in love with Jesus that the pull of the world will be lessened, right? 
And so we cannot just fill our services with don't do this and don't do that. We've got to help them realize it's not about rules. It's about relationship. Rules are not going to keep them uh, away from the world. It's relationship that's going to keep them away from the world. I fell in love with Jesus because I saw people in, my, in the church that they loved Jesus. And that, 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 that pulled at my heart. I saw the joy in their lives. I saw the peace in their lives. I saw that, uh, that God used their lives and the fulfillment they got from that. And that was more attractive than anything the world had to offer. So we have to make the world less attractive than Jesus. Finally, just one last thing. We have to show them that it's about serving more than being served. If you want to have fertile soil, you have to help kids see it's about more than just being served. It's about serving. Studies show that kids who get involved in serving, they're the ones that turn out to stick with their faith. The ones, especially in their middle school and their high school years that are involved in actively going on mission trips and serving people in the church and serving the community, those are the ones they stick with their faith. And so for far too long, we've just done fun activities and fun games and trips with kids when maybe we should have been saying it's time to serve. So we had a, in a church I was just led at, we had a camp. And we'd go off to camp for a week and you know, it was all about the kids. It was all about the teenagers. We would, we would have horseback riding and float down Lazy River, and it was all about them. It would be a worship service at night, but it was all about them. And a few years ago, we said, you know what? What would happen if we said we're not doing that anymore? Rather than going off to a camp where it's all about you, what if we said, okay, instead of that, you're going to have the opportunity to sign up, and for an entire week, all day long, you're going to serve in the community. You're going to paint widows' houses. You're going to go out and do VBSs in the community and underprivileged areas. And we're going to, we're going to stay out there. We're going to go to a community that's, that's a, a poor community and do that for a week. And, and you're going to sleep in a, in a school on the floor, just bring a cot or a blow-up mattress. And we'll have a worship service at night, but that's pretty much it. And it's going to be during the summer when it's 100 degrees out with the humidity is 1,000% in Florida. I wonder if anybody will show up. Do you know that, that the attendance that first year was greater than any year we'd ever done a go-away camp? Now there's a waiting list every summer to get into that camp. And kids' lives have been changed. Why? Because we said it's not about you. It's about serving. Give kids opportunities to serve, and it'll be fertile soil. They'll turn out to love Jesus. When I was 16 years old, I was in church. I wasn't serving anywhere. All I cared about was my car and sports and girls. That's all I cared about. And my youth pastor came and said, Dale, would you start helping in children's church? And I was like, eh, I don't do. I got too busy. And he wouldn't give up. He kept asking me. He kept asking me. And finally, I said, okay, I'll go and try one Sunday. I went in there and served in that children's service. And you know what? God transformed my life through serving. He grabbed my heart, and here we go, 30-some-odd years later, I'm still serving in kids' ministry. And it all started because somebody said, get off the pew and start serving. 
we want to see kids turn out, get them involved in serving. Maybe you need to cut back on the little fun trips. They can do that with somebody else and get them out serving, get them involved in the community. That's what's going to change their life. That's going to be fertile soil. You know, the smallest footprints, one day going to make the biggest footprints in the kingdom. When you serve, you're sending a message to a day that you'll never see. I want to challenge you to give everything you got to reach and disciple the next generation. Joe, we're going to quick story and we'll, we'll be done. So my first ministry assignment after I got out of college is I went to Southern California with a friend to help start a church. And uh, at the time, this city was the fastest growing city in the country. Everybody was moving out of L.A., out here to this city. It was about 60 miles outside of L.A. So everybody was moving out and then commuting back to work. Anyways, this community was exploding with growth. We had about 3,000 people a month moving in. So we thought, what a great place to start a church. So we went there. We had no money, nobody. We just started having church, inviting people to church. The only place we could find to meet was an old bingo parlor. We'd go in on Sunday morning. We'd clear out the smoke. There was a permanent Budweiser sign where the pulpit was at. We'd have to cover that up on Sunday morning. But God began to bless the church, and it began to grow. And uh, we finally were able to get a, get a, a, a building and I remember one day I was in the building there, uh, and I, I had a window. I could see the parking lot, and I saw this big, long Cadillac. You know, the ones that are like a mile long? Pull in the parking lot. And this little old lady, I could see her, you know, she'd barely see her over the steering wheel. She got out of the car, and she had a, it was obvious she had a wig on. It's like, you know, she's got, I can tell she's got a wig on. That's, that's not a good, that's a good thing, right? But anyways, she, 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 uh, she was in her 80s. She started staring at the back of the parking lot. So I went out there and introduced myself. said, hey, I'm Dale. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, can I help you? She looked back there and she said, are those buses? I said, yes, ma'am. This was 30 years, you know, 30 years ago when a lot of churches would send out buses and vans into the community and pick up kids that couldn't go to church and bring them to church. You guys remember those days? Some churches still do it to a small scale. But we had two or three buses that we sent out, and we'd bring in kids that didn't know Jesus, and they would hear about Jesus. And I said, yes, ma'am, it sure is. And we, she said, do you use those buses to pick up kids? I was like, yes, ma'am. She said, you know, I, used to, I go to so-and-so church down the street, and we used to do that. I mean, I used to be a part of that years ago. But we don't do that anymore. I kind of miss that. I said, yes, ma'am, we still do it. So she got in her Cadillac, and she left. A few weeks later on Sunday morning, I was out there greeting people as they came into church, and that big Cadillac pulled in the parking lot on Sunday morning. It was, her name was Dorothy, by the way. Dorothy got out of the Cadillac, and she came to church. She kept coming, and she, after a while, joined the church. And uh, a few months after she joined the church, I was greeting people as they were leaving the service, and she pulled me aside and said, Dale, I've been thinking. I miss being on those buses and reaching and teaching those kids. I'm going to get back on that bus. I'm going to help pick up those kids and tell them about Jesus. And I said, Miss Dorothy, <laughs> you're in your 80s. There's no air conditioning on those buses. Florida, excuse me, Southern California, it gets hot in the summer, and there's no air conditioning. You're going to burn up. And you, I don't know, can you get up the stairs? She looked at me, and she said, I'm going to do it, and you ain't going to stop me. She was a good kind of stubborn like that, and she did. Miss Dorothy started riding that bus, and I would watch the bus coming on Sunday morning, and here she would be in a seat, surrounded by little girls, loving them, telling them about Jesus, pouring into them, and she started seeing kids' lives change. She kept doing that faithfully, sweat just pouring out from underneath that wig as she pulled in. 
She did that faithfully for months and months and months. And one day, on a weekday again, I saw the Cadillac pull in the church parking lot. And obviously, I knew who it was now. So I walked out and said, hey, Dorothy, how are you today? And she, she looked at me. She said, you know, Dale, I've been thinking there's, a, there's another part of the city that we don't even go to. And there's a lot of kids over there that don't know Jesus. If we had another bus, could we go over there and get those kids? I said, yes, I guess, yeah, I guess we could. But, you know, we're a new church plan. We got really like, no money at all. But I guess we could if we had another bus. And she said, come here. She brought me around to the back of her big Cadillac, and she popped the trunk and opened it up. And inside was the most incredible collection of antique dolls I've ever seen in my life. All brand new in the box. She said, this is my antique doll collection. I've been collecting these for decades. They're worth a lot, a lot of money. She said, if I took these dolls and I sold them, could we take the money and get another bus so more kids could hear about Jesus? I said, yeah. Are you sure? She said, my husband told me I couldn't do it, but he don't tell me what to do. <laughs> and she took them and she sold them and took the money and bought another bus so more kids could hear about Jesus. I learned something from Dorothy, and that's give it everything you got to reach the next generation. Give everything you got, your time, your talent, your treasure, because they're worth it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this amazing group of people. They represent so many kids from all across the country and even some other countries. And they're all surrounded, whether they're in a small community or a big metropolitan area, they're all surrounded by kids and families who are growing up in a culture that is anything but loving of you. And I pray that you would uh, use them to create fertile soil. I pray that you would use them to create environments where kids can be planted and where kids' faith will grow and flourish, where parents' faith will grow and flourish. I thank you for what you're going to do in them and through them in the days ahead. God, we believe together that the best is yet to come. Generation Z will be reached. Generation Z will live for you. Your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org children.